Welcome to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. I'm your host, Kristen Thomas. I'm a relationship, dating, and sex coach based in Kansas City, and I just love to talk to people about what goes on in their sex lives and relationships. I also enjoy a good conversation about love, activism, or making change in the world. Be warned, you should probably be 18 and over, and probably also listening on your headphones. Thanks for tuning in. My guest on the show today is a burlesque dancer that I have followed for a while on Instagram. I invited someone that calls themselves Petite Renard. I invited Petite Renard to be on my show. She's just someone who I enjoy their content, and I just gave it a shot and reached out to her. I don't really know any local burlesque dancers, and I've had a hard time reaching some of them. And uh, so just, you know pie in the sky goal of like hey just find someone online that you like and she said yes so we talked a lot about her journey through burlesque as a theater kid some of the things that she enjoys about it of course what are some of the challenges posing posed by what are some of the challenges posed by covid what are some of the challenges posed by this pandemic and what she thinks might happen next I enjoy talking to people that are sex positive and doing things that are a little avant-garde, so I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. Please find her on Instagram at Petite Renard. You can also check the show notes to find more information. As always, I would love it if you would like, share, and subscribe my to my like, share, and subscribe to my podcast. And also follow my social channels. You can find this podcast. You can find this you can find this podcast at Open the Doors KC on Instagram or keep underscore them underscore coming underscore podcast. You can find a link to that on my Open the Doors KC if you have any issues finding it. I recorded this episode a while back and I'm recording this intro and putting it up post election, so I just want to say a quick thank you to everyone who got out and voted this year. It was certainly a challenging one, and I know myself, I've had to work through some things, especially when it comes to family relationships and politics. So, I suppose all I'm pondering right now is how we move forward together. Um, I, of course, am just, <sighs> I'm very relieved because Fosta and Sesta has definitely affected what I can and can't do on the internet and I certainly hope that the next administration finds some ways to make sure that we can prevent internet sex trafficking while also not censoring anything positive about sexuality. You can talk about all the negative things like assault, rape, sex trafficking, all those things on the internet these days but you can't hardly talk about pleasure. You can't say the word clitoris or penis without getting censored, and they're just body parts. So uh, I just have a lot of hope that things are going to change, especially for people like myself and my industry. So cheers to January 2020. Cheers to January 2021. All right. Enjoy this episode with Petite Renard. 
I'm really excited to have a different sort of guest on my show today. I don't often get to have guests that are from out of town, but I reached out to someone that I have followed for a while on Instagram. And today I have a burlesque performer based out of New York City, and her name is Petite Renard. So thank you so much for being on this show today. Thank you for having me, Kristen. I really appreciate it. I love your page. Thank you. It really, it's so, so good. You just, every shot that I see, like, it's, uh, I'm just a big fan. I'm fangirling right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, thank you. But you, you do a great job with your social media, but I feel like your, your things are always pretty on point. You try to be pretty inclusive and you're talking about sex positive stuff. And I mean, hey, as a burlesque dancer, you got to be pretty sex positive in that industry. So yes. <laughs> So I can stop kind of like rambling on here. I want to know a little bit more, like how long have you been doing burlesque? Sort of how did you get into it? Of course, that's what I always get asked as a sex coach. So I got to ask you that too. Yeah. Um, well, so I have been doing burlesque um, six years. I just actually had my burlesque anniversary on June 30th. Ah. Um, and yeah, I was a theater major. So that's kind of how I stumbled on it. And, and you know, when, as you talk to a lot of uh, burlesque performers, you realize a lot of us came from theater, or dance backgrounds, or costuming. Uh -huh. And we kind of fell into it one way or another because we were all like unsatisfied deeply with what we were doing, or we had kind of quit it. And, you know, that, that was my case. I had, you know, graduated from theater school and, you know, moved to the city and, I just immediately started working in, you know, terrible restaurants and just was miserable and not auditioning. And kind of after like two or three years of that, I was like, okay, I don't think acting is going to happen and that's okay. So, you know, moving on, what should I do now? Mm -hmm. And um, I actually saw a friend from college perform in New York City and I was like, oh, huh. I can do that. Um, and I think that's, that's what a lot of people kind of, it's everybody's initial reaction is some people see the movie burlesque with Cher and Christina Aguilera, which do not watch. It's terrible and it is not accurate at all. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, a lot of us sort of like watch a performance at a bar or, you know, hear of Dita Von Tees or something. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. You know, we ultimately end up being like, oh, that fills that weird hole that theater or dance left us. And, you know, we end up doing it. And I, I, I like to joke, I was always the most naked person at parties in college. <laughs> so, you know, it, <laughs> a lot of people carried you know, over. Exactly. People who've known me for years are like, oh, this totally makes sense. And I'm like, yeah, it does. It's cool. Even my parents were a little weird at first, my mom more than my dad. <laughs> my mom's reaction was, you're stripping? And my dad's was, Nito, when do we see you perform? So um, <laughs> they've come around to it, but um, always a little awkwardness right at the beginning. It's funny that you said, I could do that because it's exactly <laughs> what I said when I heard a podcast from a sex coach and then she was talking about how she became one. I was like, oh, I could do that. Yeah, Isn't that amazing how when you find something that you end up being so passionate about is just that starting off like that first exposure to it, you're like, yes. Yeah. I yeah. I think, I feel like that's almost like where I'm at with my day job career right now where I'm like, Oh God, I really need to find that thing that makes me go. I could do that. Cause you know, right now my, that, that's the other half of my life. I'm doing this by night or weekends and you know, burlesque is very freelance and doesn't, 
pay as much money as Dita Von Tees would like to make you think you do. Um, uh -huh. But, you know, I have a full-time day job on top of everything I'm doing, and I, I certainly don't love it, but it allows me a flexibility that a lot of real full-time performers do not have, and I appreciate that. So you mentioned before we got to talking live on the show that you and your partner started a show of your own in 2017. Yes, um, my partner, my fiance, uh, Mo Cheesemo, um, mm -hmm. he and I have a show called Metropolis Burlesque, um, mm -hmm. and it's all nerdlesque, and nerdlesque is burlesque that features just nerdy stuff, so it can be anything from Marvel and DC Comics to, you know, any cartoon or, you know, weird movie you've ever heard of. Um, our last two shows before everything shut down were actually uh, a Who Framed Roger Rabbit show and mm -hmm. then a Tom Hanks themed show, um, <laughs> which I didn't think we were going to pull off. We like barely just had enough acts for it. Um, and somebody dropped out last minute. So I ended up pulling together a Toy Story act at like the 11th hour, but, um, you know, nice. we, it, we made it work and we've done, you know, some pretty crazy shows. I mean, we've done Rick and Morty a couple times. Um, oh yeah. Love it. We've done a Bojack Horseman show four years running. Um, it was actually our very first, um, our very first show ever. And then actually this past year when we did, kind of the last one as it, you know, the show was done. Um, we actually got a really sweet tweet from the creator um, being like, this show keeps showing up every four years and I don't understand it, but I love it. And I was like, oh my God, that's so sweet of you. Ah, that's uh, fantastic. I know it was, it was kind of insane, but I'm still like, he, the show is so, so dark and so messed up in some ways, but it, it's a really accurate portrayal of depression and alcoholism and stuff. And like, it was the first show we actually binge watched as a couple. So we were like, okay, this has to be our first theme. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it's really fun. Nerdlesque is so specific and there's a few Nerdlesque groups in town. I think there's four of us now um, and in New York city. And we all have like our different sort of themes. Like there's one that tends to be a little more anime and then one that's a little more mainstream. So they do, or, you know, they're doing Harry Potter and Star Wars and, you know, Marvel mm -hmm. stuff. And we think we like, more palatable for big groups or big yeah, crowds. Like, Nerdlesque tends to be hit or miss anyway. Like, sometimes we'll throw a theme out and we'll be like, we're super psyched about this. And then 10 people show up. And then sometimes we're like, well, like, this is a cool theme and everybody's really excited about it, but I don't know. And then that'll be the one that has a packed house. So, you know, it's, it can be hard, you know, you have to balance it out. And there's a lot of months that we've ended up paying out of pocket just to do something we wanted to, but I don't regret it. And, you know, it is nice that, you know, if that there are so many different groups so that sort of Mm -hmm. Anybody who wants to be a part of it can sort of find the the group that's focused on their genre. So we we kind of joke that we we do the weird stuff from um, that line from Doctor Horrible Sing Along blog, um, <laughs> and it it's it, we like to do the deep cut stuff. So yes, you know, you may not get it. But it's happening anyway, so. <laughs> no, I like that. I'm definitely a nerd myself. I think that a lot of people who are sex positive also tend to be <laughs> sort of nerdy and geek or geeky about something. So 
I mean, I'll I'll out myself here. I love Buffy, the Vampire Slayer, and Battlestar Galactica. Yep, I I get that. I know people who have acts for the both of those, and I think uh, one of the trips uh, has done full. I think a couple groups have actually done full Buffy shows. So yes, <laughs> it's definitely there. If if it, you know how they talk about porn, where it's like if you're thinking about it, it's on the internet somewhere, and yes. that's, that's definitely for burlesque too. <laughs> Well, when the pandemic is over, if you do a Buffy show, I will come to New York City and I will be there for sure. For sure. <laughs> well, we, but yeah. that's something to talk about. You know, right now we are in the middle of a pandemic. You are in New York City. So you've had to take a pause mm -hmm. right now. So what what are you sort of doing in the meantime to kind of like keep keep ideas flowing or to sort of like, are you preparing for the future? Have you done anything online? Like I know you know, some people are doing online stuff. So, you know, what are you up to these days during the pause? <laughs> uh, the great pause. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. I, well, I actually haven't been in a single show since things shut down. I think my last performance was in February, right before New York mm -hmm. shut down in like early March. Um, and then I've, I've done like one art modeling gig from home, which was really fun. Um, and I have friends who've done shows here and there, but I just, I don't know. I, I think it's a combination of the day job, you know, mm -hmm. when you're working nine to five and my job's in customer service. So I'm getting a lot of frustrated people right now. And I get it. Mm -hmm. But like, mm -hmm. I now have zero barrier between home and work life because I'm sitting in the same spot on my couch for yeah. you know 12 plus hours a day. And it can be hard to feel excited about anything. So I'm I'm kind of just imbibing most of my nights away, which isn't great. But, you know, um, we also felt like because we did have day jobs, both of us, and are very secure at the moment, that it was more important for people who aren't in that capacity to be doing that. And I think, I think it's hard because in burlesque, we're already working with such tight restrictions you know there's mm -hmm. restrictions on what we can post on social media there's mm -hmm. restrictions on how we can even post events and invite people on facebook which used to be uh -huh. it used to be you could invite like a thousand people to an event on facebook and now they've limited to, to 50 so that's yeah it's it's crazy like it, it the past like three years has not been kind to burlesque because we've our reach has been dropping and dropping and dropping and you know, the world's only getting bigger and broader and it's been harder and harder to find in real world audiences as well. And we've had to change venues four times now since we started as well. Um, you know, we had one venue that did something racist and we pulled out. We had one venue that just refused to help us promote and gave us a really bad deal. So we pulled out. We had one venue close and then we've had... Um, another venue that we've been at for almost a year now, um, or would have been, um, but they're just a bit out of the way. And at the moment they're actually being sold. So I don't know what the future is going to be there when we even come back. So, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. it's been, it's been a struggle to do burlesque, honestly, for the last couple of years as a producer, because we want to actually, I'll ask you a question. How much do you think a burlesque performer gets paid for one performance? So oh. a show is, mm. so there's say, like, say our show in general, we have a host, I, which is Mo, my partner, and mm -hmm. I 
I either kitten, which is basically a stage management gig, um, picking mm-hmm. up all the clothes and doing go-go, or I perform. Um, mm-hmm. There's usually a total of six acts, and then there is a DJ and a door person. Hmm. Well, that's, you know, 10 people, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so maybe if a show is lucky to bring in 10 grand or two grand at the door or grand at the door and then what two grand in alcohol or something maybe three grand so maybe on a really great night i'd say maybe you're getting like two hundred dollars three hundred dollars if even oh my god i wish um you wish no most, most people get a- I overshot oh you overshot by a lot <laughs> that's the because well, the venue you got to pay the venue too yeah i mean we're lucky most of our venues have been free so you know they're okay. most, a lot of new york venues either either they're like full-time venues and like that's the only thing they do so they have you know a fee because they're they've got promotion they're doing this every single night or they're kind of a bar that happens to have a stage and there's stuff Mm -hmm. going on and in that secondary case which is what our last two venues have um they're pretty much just like pick a night tell us that night and we'll book it um and block it off for you and then charge what you want at the door and we keep the bar so that's mm-hmm. that's kind of best case scenario in some ways because then you can literally just be like you know it's ten dollars so hopefully you get enough people to pay and don't have to break even at least but most performers are only bringing home fifty dollars a gig yeah and that's like in tips in raffle in you know and yeah every yeah so you know we were able to up to sixty dollars which is pretty much the hopeful average in new york city although there are are people who pay less than that. And there's fortunately people that pay a little bit more, but you know, it's, that's not great odds. And no, no, we're neither of us are super up on technology. You know, there's people who have learned to do all this editing and zoom and figuring all out these shows and putting them on Vimeo and selling them. And both of us are just like, we're already exhausted and full of panic. And we just haven't wanted to, you know, try and deal with that um, in pandemic. Cause we'd also, you know, I, a lot of my friends who are saying they're only getting $30 from various gigs from people that I would kind of expect more of. I online. I, yeah. For these online gigs. And I'm like, $30 is not enough. And I would want to pay full price and it would be really frustrating right now with the greater reach that we should be able to have that, you know, we should be able to give everybody $60 and still, you know, pay ourselves. There's a lot of months we haven't done that too. And it's just, it's just tiring and it's a lot of work. And yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's not less work to do things online. Exactly. And I, I we want to think that some things are, there are probably a few things out there that yes, it's less work, but Mm -hmm. this absolutely not. There's going to be so much work for someone to set up their home performance area. Yeah, like and there's still the makeup and the hair and the everything and and probably spend more than thirty dollars on everything just to to get ready for the show and to actually produce the show. Exactly, and so I mean, so we we have not we thought about it. We briefly talked about doing it because we um, have a a kind of really cool idea for Coney Island because we were supposed to do our second show down there this summer for Burlesque at the Beach, and you know we'd still like to, and we we thought about doing that as a online show because it would be just the kind of thing that would kind of carry over well to an online show. 
but ultimately the more we talked about it the more we were like that is so much work for what it is and we don't have a third hand you know working with us so are we literally just you know are, are we gonna like set our computer on the coffee table and Mo stands there and then I run it and then I we switch back and forth and I do something and so on and it's just it's more trouble than it's worth to some extent like you know everybody is going to be clamoring for live events when this is over it's okay if people want to watch you know comfort stuff right now I get it because I'm that's kind of where I'm at right now um so it it's it's disappointing that we haven't but I also you know I've watched people that I really respect go from doing like a show every other week to kind of no shows and I'm like okay if these people are also not doing that that makes me feel less bad in some way and you know this is something I was discussing with a friend of mine another coach about at the beginning of this your phone was dinging constantly saying so and so's going live this person's live this person's live yes. and I mean I definitely got burned out from just seeing the notifications there were a few lives that I've watched I've really enjoyed and other things I'm like oh that was kind of pointless but I got so burned out on seeing just the notifications. Yeah, there was there was definitely that, that first like two months, like my Instagram was just live, live, live. Yes. Live. And I just can't do it. I hate watching things on my phone and my, you know, my laptop as well. Like, you know, I, I it's I'm already working on a laptop and my phone all day for work. I don't want my eyes on another tiny screen in my free time. And that's yeah. You know, that's me complaining in the most first world way, but it's it's me being honest about not wanting to engage with something in that way, too. And I mean, I did peep into a few shows that have been on live on Instagram, and it's just not the same. Seeing people's right. like weird apartments badly lit and, like, <laughs> you know, like yeah. everything like you, you can just tell it's not the same and it feels weird and I want to support people and I'm I'm glad there are people still doing this. Um, and I fully support their ability to be able to, and whatever makes them money. And the other, the other thing that's been really hard as a performer, because unlike actors where there's a union for everything, Uh we have nothing set. Right. So, you know, that's why people are getting paid $30 versus like $60 in person or a hundred dollars in person or whatever it is, you know, it's, there, there's nothing keeping people from doing a free show where it's just tips and maybe you make 10 bucks if it's online. And, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, I, uh, there's been a lot of conversations about that and through people throwing shade at each other in, you know, unpleasant ways as, as we're all just sort of like, how do we manage this? I, I don't think anybody should be doing free shows. I get why they want to, because it's, kind of keeping things going but we barely get people to pay 10 bucks for five people taking their clothes off now we can't be letting them like get away with literally not tipping and they're masturbating to us like for free and that's the thing there's other things on the internet that they can get their jollies off for um, exactly. Or there's, or there's, that's what OnlyFans is for in some capacities but you know like what you were saying there's something different about a burlesque performance online versus in person. I, it's a whole experience. It's not just about watching 
a woman take their clothes off on stage. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, it's this entire experience. Yeah, like going to a strip club is very different than watching a girl on a cam show, for example. Like, you know, in person, you're smelling that sweat, you're locking eyes and making eye contact. And, you know, you have that moment of connection with the audience. And that's from the people who have been in shows. That's what I'm hearing. They're kind of bummed about there's just no connection and like, no feedback, no excitement, no you know, right. we get, you can't hear the audience reaction, the whistles or the hoots or the, ooh, you know, like the slight little yes. things that you get out of a, a burlesque audience. Yeah. So I would like to know, you know, you've, you've been doing this for a while. What are some of your favorite things about doing burlesque? What sort of jazzes you up about a performance? Uh, well, the thing that drew it to me in the first place was that I could create my own stories you know, in uh -huh. acting, you know, there's so many stories that every everybody has that dream role that they want to do um, where, you know, it just resonates with you. But at the end of the day, say you actually get cast in that, you're then subjected to the director, the theater, the costume designer, everybody's opinion of how you want to play this role that you've loved maybe for a decade or something. Uh -huh. You know, in burlesque, everything that I'm putting on stage is something that came out of my head or my ass, depending, you know, the situation. <laughs> you know, but everything, you know, because there's kind of nobody checking in on us or saying like, no, you can't do that. You know, yes, there's some venues that are like, no, you, you do have to cover your nipples and your vagina or whatever you have, mm -hmm. you know, other, other places are just kind of like, yeah, do whatever you want. Pee in a bucket on stage. We don't care. So <laughs> there's, you know, something for everybody, certainly. And everything, I, I always like to talk about how I treat each of my acts as a monologue. And, you know, some of them are more obvious than others. Like I have a an American Horror Story act um, from first season Black Dahlia. Uh -huh, and uh -huh. because I'm a really miserable, terrible person, I use the to um like 40 songs you ought to be in pictures and i'll never smile again and <sighs> then i intercut it with lines from the show when she's like coming in and talking to the doctor and like saying you know like kind of seducing him and then at the end of the episode uh, where she's talking about like where somebody is talking to her ghost and is like wait you don't know you're the black dahlia like you're massively famous and she's like I really did become someone and that's like the end of my act where I actually smile and I'm like kind of like Hollywood waving it and I'm like I, I go on this whole freaking journey and I'm getting like teary thinking about it which is kind of the sign of like a good monologue right so right I love it you know I I treat I, a lot of them are are less obvious than that but you know they all kind of have a little rhythm and like where they're going for me I'm curious about the costumes. I love, I love burlesque costumes, but I'm sure they are not cheap or you've got to make some things yourself. So yes. I'm curious, how much does an average costume cost? Um, it can wildly depend. Um, you know, I think my, my first costume is very much retired. It was an orange is the new black inspired act. Um, uh -huh. and I, it, you know, i probably spent like 50 60 bucks on it you know it's got little handcuff pasties and you know some really cheap black and white striped lingerie and a 
prison jumpsuit that I am very glad is not in many of my pictures at this point because I think it's a little more disrespectful at this point um but like my third act which is probably my most booked act and is my festival act of all the dang things is a Swedish chef burlesque number that um it's literally got I've got like a fancy pair of red underwear I've got salt and pepper pasties I bought like a $20 like men's button down shirt and rhinestone it, and I've got you know just a bunch of plastic like I have a giant like knife and like I I took I did a Bill Murray burlesque show where I kittened as the gopher um, from Caddyshack so that was one of my first burlesque gigs um from my friend Marinara Stardust and she I you know I I had all this fur left over so I cut out my mustache and eyebrow for Swedish chef out of that fabric. And I still kind of recut those every six months as they get kind of stretched out. So like I've had that costume for five and a half years now. It's been to Iceland, Alaska, all over the country. And it cost me probably $50. But then on the other hand, I have costumes like oof, my one of my Miss Coney Island costumes a couple years ago. Um, it's, It is exactly what it sounds. It's the pageant to be the queen of Miss Coney Island. Um, And it's it's a really weird, wonderful um, pageant run by Bambi the Mermaid. So it it has three aspects. It has, you know, uh, evening gown where you do they read your bio and then you do an act and then there's a bathing suit and then the winner is announced. And it's like a three hour show. It's amazing. Uh Um, So when I did it, I I wasn't thrilled with how my act came out. I didn't win. It's okay. Um, but, you know, I spent so much money trying to figure that out. I think I spent two years working on, like, figuring out everything out for this show. Um, the bathing suit I got free because I am a savvy shopper. And um, I ended up, um, like, finding this amazing costume. And I stole a bunch of other stuff that I bought at the same time for a very, very low price. I ended up selling, which covered the price of the bathing suit. And then the dress, which I made, um, I really love. One of the things that I kind of talked about in my bio is how when I first fell in love with Coney Island, I fell in love with the postcards because all those 19 teen postcards are so Uh weird. If you if you Google anything about like the like all the rides at Coney Island back in like the 19 like 05 to 12 era, it's it's bizarre and really fascinating and um they have something in the museum down at coney island usa uh where there's light up postcards where if you put a light behind them they kind of glow in the dark and they have all these little windows and colors and i was like i want to make a postcard dress and it cost me probably about a thousand dollars to parade around it for in three minutes so (sighs) Because I hired a costumer in the community who, you know, does a good job. And mm-hmm. she and I went out and bought the fabric, the lining. She cut the pieces for me after we figured out a design and everything. And then I took them home, hand-painted them all, sent them back to her. She assembled them, and I got it back. And it, it took forever, but it did look amazing. <laughs> Do you know what? That's way better than going to a store and spending $1,000. You put that money into a maker's pocket. So yeah, you know, it's at the end of the day, it's always supporting small businesses. And 
you know, I learned a lot about, you know, I totally had never done anything like that before. I literally watercolor hand painted, like all this absurd rayon dress. Like it, I, oh God, it was a whole mess. (laughs) It was a whole mess. And now like, that was like three years ago and I've gained a little bit of weight and right now I can't fit into the dress. And I'm just like, someday dress, someday I will wear you again somewhere. Is that, is a picture of that dress on your Instagram? Yeah, I could definitely send you that if you want to share that with anybody or just see it because it, it, it's that it's double-sided too. So the front is the copy of a postcard called Riding the Elephant. And then I didn't get it to light up because once I started looking into that, it was actually would have been really, really hard. And I would have had to put a lot more lining into it. It would have been so bulky and weird. And heavy um, and yeah. Yeah, it was just going to be way too much. Um, and then the back is a letter to my parents um, being like, hi, mom and dad, I'm at the beach and I promise I won't get too burned. Love this. And it had like, I think I put my original home address, which my parents did not live at at that point, thankfully. But um, <laughs> yeah, like it was just a whole thing. And especially because that was also my parents first time seeing me perform. So ah. I wanted to do like a little thing just for them. So they were my, my mom actually, the other half of this is my mom is a costume designer because my parents were in theater. Uh, so lovely. my mom has made uh, multiple costumes for me, probably the best one and my like my favorite one is a copy of the Toulouse-Lautrec uh, Jane of Real print um, where she's in a, it's like a black and red dress where she's throwing her arms back and there's a snake that wraps around the dress. So uh-huh. um, I use the end theme of the Moulin Rouge soundtrack um, to do a whole kind of Frenchy Jane of Real Toulouse-Lautrec vibe. And my mom made that dress. Lovely. So she went from going, you're a stripper to I'll make you some costumes. <laughs> yep. My aunt doesn't even know. My aunt actually bought the costume. My cousin, who has got a Fulbright scholar and taught in Vietnam and makes me constantly look bad. Um, she was studying in Vietnam and my aunt actually went to go visit her and was like, oh, you know, do you guys want any fabric? Um, I heard their, you know, their market has really cool fabric. And my mom was like, yes, get me 10 yards of black silk and five yards of, you know, red silk. And it was so cheap. It was like $30 or something there. Oh my gosh. And so she was like, oh, that was so fun. I like, this is on me. And then my mom made it for free because my mom is a superhuman and <laughs> the nicest person ever. So I literally, that's gotta be like, a, I don't even know how much that would have cost. And I hand sequined the snake and um on the train for a couple months and then put it on myself so like whole family thing and it's it should have cost an arm and a leg and didn't (laughs) that's phenomenal and how what a sweet story around a costume that you can use over and over again so exactly oh i love that i love that It's time for a quick break. I promise it'll just be a minute, so stay tuned. I'll be right back after a few words that help me get paid. I mean, really, what what do you, I mean, I don't know if you've really answered this yet. I kind of implied it yet. But what do you really love the most about the, the storytelling aspect? Yes. But like, what do you love about doing this kind of work in front of an audience? Um, you know, 
it's a couple different things. It's a chance to let my kind of freak flag fly. Uh huh. Um, and you know, like I have really obscure acts, like we were saying. You know, we do the deep cuts and stuff for you know that. Like one of my favorite shows, for example, as a kid, and the one that kind of got me through grade school without you know hurting myself. Basically, was a Henson TV show uh, that was on for four years called Farscape. It mm-hmm. actually just had its 20th anniversary last year, and I met the entire cast and everything. And a couple years ago. Um, you know, I have already had the Jim Henson Swedish chef act, but I was like, damn it. I was like, I really want to do a Farscape act. And I think the character that I should do is Chiana. She's this like 20 something year old alien thief. She's super sexual. Pardon me. Um, she's super <laughs> sexual. And, you know, she just, she, like, she was very clearly the best character from that show to do a burlesque act as, but also the one that I identified most with at this age. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I was like, all right. So one of the reasons we started Metropolis was I, there was a lot of shows that I did like, but there weren't necessarily shows that were things that I was like, I, everybody, a lot of the people that come to Nerdlusk end up starting their own shows because they're like, man, I want to do this theme and nobody's done it yet. I'm going to do it. So, you know, I, that's why we ended up doing Bojack. We ended up doing a Kevin Smith show that Kevin Smith tweeted about, which was again, very sweet. Because I wanted to do a, an Alanis Morissette as God in Dogma Act, yes. which I did. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I I specifically was like, I want to do a Jim Henson's Creature Shop show so I can do a Chiana act. And everybody was like, Henson? Oh, so Muppet show. It's it's petite. It's got to be a Muppet show. And I'm like, no, we are not going to have Muppet or, uh. you know, like, this is a non-Muppet. This is a non, like, I, I want, I don't want, like, another because people have done Sesame Street shows and people have done a lot of Muppet shows. And I was like, there are other people that hold those themes because we all try not to step on each other's toes with Uh themes most of the time. Um, But I basically said like, I want to do creature shops so we can have Fraggle Rock. We can have Labyrinth. We can have um, like, we had a whole bunch of weird stuff. Uh, Dark Crystal, of course. Yes. Yes. You know, we've we've had some really great, amazing stuff. And because people are thinking outside the box and, and because you can be like, look, like Jim Henson's Creature Shop has also done so much. Like they did Babe. They did, um, you know, they've done so many aliens and so many shows. They've done obviously all the mainstream stuff that we've heard of. But then they also did like Lady Gaga's tour. So, you know, they did... I never, I don't think I've been pronouncing it right, but dead mouse, they did dead mouse's head. So like they do so much and, you know, putting that theme out there, it means we can literally be like, what do you got for us? So, you know, we got a luck dragon, we got a William the worm and it's so fun seeing just kind of what people come up with from a theme. And, you know, that's exactly why I wanted to do my Chiana act, but when I put that out there, I knew I was like, I'm going to be probably the only person that wants to book this. And it's true. I've never booked it anywhere else except my own show. And that's fine. Um, I also wore it when I met the actress who played her and she was so sweet. And like, that's going to be a moment I stay that stays with me forever. But you know, I, I love that moment where I put a Farscape act on stage and 
you know, my own fiance is mocking me being like, nobody's ever heard of this show and introducing me as such. And then there's people in the audience who came just to see that act and being like, I can't believe there's a Farscape act on stage. I am so happy. And, you know, I, I think that goes for things outside of Nerdlesque too, but maybe less so. So many of the, th the connections that I've made on social media or just in real life are people being like, oh my God, I can't believe you're that weirdo that did a Swedish chef act or, you know, a Rick and Morty Masha act or whatever it is. You know, it, it's all these super specific things. And, and they're like, I can't believe you did that. I love that character. Here's why they resonate with me. It means so much that like, you obviously love that character too. And it's that great moment that only like deep fans can have and I think to some extent you're going to get that if you're in theater like obviously you know maybe you wait for an actress backstage and you're like oh my god your performance as uh, Hermia I hate Shakespeare but fine <laughs> Hermia you know was so moving to me but it's a totally different level when it's this thing so deep from your heart like I had to like hand paint my Chiana costume. I had to add extra hair to a wig that I had to hand cut and hand paint her like roots into. Oh my God. I had to do all this absurd work to do this and I made it happen. And now people are like, Oh my God, I can't believe that. That looks great. And it's, it's nice because it makes me feel good about work that I was like, Oh man, nobody's going to like this but me. And then it makes them feel good because they're, you know, we're sharing that. So yeah. I, I love that aspect of burlesque, that sort of sharing. But also, I it's interesting because I don't know if it's just in Nerdlesque or just in, you know, in New York, um, but I'm sure not. There's a lot of people that come to burlesque that are really awkward. Like a lot of uh -huh. fans that I've, you know, made friends with over the years who have become friends and stuff. And, you know, for whatever reason or another, they're kind of, hidden and maybe they're quiet maybe they have social anxiety or whatever but a lot of them come to burlesque shows and you know they for the price of a couple dollars they can kind of be like talk with a performer and I know that's a little weird because there's is that money aspect to it but like there's a lot of fans that I've known for years and like you know I check in with them about their jobs right now and I'm just saying like hey how are you doing like you know, are you okay right now? I haven't seen you in six months. Like, uh -huh. these are people that I used to see on kind of a weekly or so basis. And, um, you know, it, you form a community like any other kind of hobby or any type of thing like that, you know, and probably even more so than in a normal theater community in New York, just because we're so small. There's only maybe like somewhere between 500 to 2,000 at any given time people in the burlesque community. Gotcha. That's not very big considering how big the city is. That's for sure. <laughs> exactly. So again, people in burlesque do tend to be a little bit more sex positive. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I can tell, obviously you consider yourself to be so. Um, mm -hmm. But what I'm curious about is, I guess, I don't know if I'm trying to get it. Like, when did you kind of realize you were sex positive or like, were you kind of like always just one of those kids who like me was just always kind of like, thinking about sex or interested in bodies or like 
how did were you kind of like into sex and sexuality before you started going on this path or was it kind of being a theater kid because i know a lot of theater kids um are very <laughs> sex positive one. yeah they are <laughs> um yeah no i was definitely i don't want to say a horny kid that sounds weird but um yeah no i i was always i'm, I'm a child of an only child of much older parents my parents uh are very honest that i was a broken condom when they were had already been married 13 years in ah. they you know they were nearly 40 so they were already chill like my parents having both been in theater you know some of their best friends passed away of aids so uh -huh. you know we have this already household where like that's already a positive and super liberal environment and you know, I wouldn't say anything was hid from me. You know, a lot of kids grow up not being able to watch certain things. And my parents did not, you know, I grew up watching, you know, obviously things like the Muppet show, but then the other half of that, I always say that my humor is entirely based on the Muppet show and Monty Python, which obviously <sighs> has a lot of sex jokes. And, uh -huh. you know, obviously the Muppets aren't sexual, but they're definitely like, is this, sort of this is gonna be sound weird but this underlying current where they were still very adult and miss piggy is like obsessed with kermit and you know yeah there, there was never it, they were more adults especially back then um than maybe now where they're more a little sanitized for disney and stuff but um you know I, even in high school um you know i was always a very sexual person and you know one of those people that definitely wanted to explore my body at a young age and you know going into college that did not slow down and I was in a relationship for a couple years that was not good um the sex was but um, my my partner was a little older and he kind of treated me like junk and mm. I found out later that he cheated on me, which I had kind of known. Um, and I, I joke that I, he cheated on me twice and I cheated on him four and a half times as many. Um, so I, I really got back at him. I, my junior year, I kind of just was like, Oh, you graduated and you're going to be a little turd to me. Okay. Bye. I'll and, um, yeah. So I, you know, I, I enjoyed you know, probably from when I was 20 to 25, I just kind of flung myself at the world. And I had a lot of great experiences and a lot of really funny times that I look back on now. And I'm like, what were you doing? That was bad. It's okay. Um, you know, and then I met um, my partner when I was 25. And he's 14 years older than me. Um, and thankfully, also a very sexual, wonderful person. Um, and the first year of our relationship, we were open. Um, he was still dating another performer and they were poly. Mm -hmm. um, and then she had some mental health issues. So after a year, um, he was able to safely, you know, get her out of that relationship and get her to, she, she moved home actually, which was a really good decision for her health and his too, because she, he had been doing a lot more for her than anybody realized. And, um, you know, it was, we kind of shut it down at that point just to be us. And that's where we've been at since. But I have, I have always been a super sexual person. And I, I certainly think that has aspects of why I wasn't embarrassed going into burlesque. There's, you know, there's always people 
in in this scene that you sometimes wonder, huh, why are they why are they doing this? Uh, it, you know, mm-hmm. there's certain people who maybe wear like more fuller coverage um, lingerie or mm-hmm. you know choose not to show certain parts of their body, and I, you know. Everybody has their own reasons for doing burlesque, and I've never asked one of those people because that's the you know that's their private business. Um, mm-hmm. But there's certainly people that I have seen on stage where they just look so uncomfortable, and I to those people I wonder often you know what are you getting out of this? Is this more yeah. of a challenge to yourself that like I can do this? You know I can be naked on stage in front of a hundred people, but you know um, I I don't there's definitely moments where I'm like, Oh God, my body doesn't feel as good today. You know, if every burlesque performer has had the moment where they bled through their costume and they're like, Oh my God, I'm about to go on stage. Don't bend over. How can I adjust this? Like, what uh, am I going to do? Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, you know, we've all had those moments, but most of the time I'm, I'm more just like, just be your weird self girl. And it's, it's all going to be good. Let that freak flag fly. Right exactly that's a phrase that i use quite often especially with my (laughs) clients yes because that's that's just i feel how you need to live your life because whatever you're into there are other people out there who are into it too oh yeah they'll find you they'll find you yeah exactly and there's so many people that are so shy and you know um i think burlesque brings a lot of those people even just to the audience you know those mm-hmm. might be the people that are doing like the 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 little dance off contest for a drink and they're just like oh my gosh i'm i'm going to like shake my stuff on stage and that's enough for them and then there's others of us who have been you know naked people since high school and we're like oops well now i get to get money for it so hooray exactly exactly So what do you sort of see as your next steps? I mean, we're sort of waiting out the pandemic, but are you looking to just kind of get started again when things kind of open up? Are you going to find alternatives? What's your plan? Um, I'm still kind of feeling it out. I mean, right now I like many have an OnlyFans. Uh Um, so I am shooting a lot of, um, just like, you know, I have a little ring light set up and my phone and a little button that I press. Um, and you know, I've, I've shot some stuff just around my house. Thankfully my house is cute. Um, uh, it's not fun. I, I tried to do, um, you might've seen my little flower post the other day. I tried uh-huh. to do one of those like flower bathtub shoots and I put the tripod in the bathtub with me nearly dropped. I, I did drop actually the, uh, entire thing on my head. And I thought my phone had gone in the water, but it didn't. Thank God. Um, so I mean, like, that wasn't a great shoot. And everybody liked that picture. And I was like, okay, maybe I should have kept trying. But, you know, um, I've definitely shot some stuff for that some lewds and stuff. Um, but I, I definitely don't go as hard on it as some people are. Um, I kind of use that money as like, savings and also putting back into the burlesque and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, just because burlesque already doesn't make much money. So, you know, even if this kind of just helps me like work on repairs or whatever in the interim, that's okay. Yeah. Um, do you make, but, much, do you mind if I ask if you make very much on OnlyFans? Um, I make 
a little under what I would make in an average week at my real job in a month. Gotcha. So okay. it's okay. You know, it's, it's certainly a little nice. extra something. Exactly. Um, you know, I'm not paying taxes on it right now, so that's going to hit me <laughs> next April. But yeah, that um, 1099. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But I mean, in the meantime, it's okay. And, you know, I'll take it. Um, you know, it's a way of kind of keeping things, you know, like we were saying earlier, like it's a way of keeping things going without necessarily having to do the work of a full show. You know, I, I just edited yeah. it on my phone. So it's, you know, if I don't love it, fine. I just don't post it. It's not, there's nobody writing on it, but me. Um, so I, I have been doing only fans in the meantime. And I mean, there might be a point where I just, I'm like, I'm tired of this and I just cut it off and it's nice I I feel a little guilty knowing that I have the luxury to do that, but I also feel like, you know, who knows, maybe tomorrow my job will be like, we're not that happy with you. Bye. And I'll, you know, then I will need this. So it's not a bad thing to have it kind of where it is at the moment. Yeah. Um, Get it established. Yeah, exactly. Um, As for kind of burlesque in general, I, you know, I mentioned earlier, my partner's a nurse and, you know, fortunately he's at a, private hospital so his job is not like the doctors you've been seeing at Montefiore and Elmhurst um that are were really hit when everything started Uh like he is very fortunate um but at the end of the day like we talk a lot about like a timeline vaccine and stuff in in our household just because that's something I'm curious about and um he knows a lot about it and he he's not super anticipating that we are going to have a vaccine anytime soon maybe next year so at the moment we're kind of literally just like well we have to wait and see you know if our venue gets sold do we want to try and find another venue after all of this or are we tired and you know everything in new york there's so many stuff so many places that have already shut down and it's only been you know five months so like permanently done kind of, yeah, yeah a lot of stuff's already permanently shutting you know I a lot of people especially who like friends of mine who live in Manhattan they're like oh my god this place that's been around for 40 years is shutting their doors and you know I I really deeply worry what's going to be left in a year because I'm thinking long term already I'm like I'm the person being like, what's going to happen in six months when it's winter and every cough is, is nerve wracking because is it yeah. a cold? Is it the flu? Is it COVID? Um, and also, and just in terms of that, you know, New York is struggling by with all of our restaurants doing street seating where they're just taking over literally the parking spaces in front of their business. And sure, that gets them a little money. So they're at least keeping afloat, but that's not going to work in six months. So what happens then? They're not all going to be able to keep on on just takeout alone so i i have a feeling there's going to be a mass reckoning of things closing in new york city in like the next year and you know i i don't know the burlesque scene's already like eating itself in some ways um and i i don't know kind of what's going to be left after all this you know um i i don't know if there's going to be venues i don't know if anybody's going to be wanting to go out and how do you you know say say our venue stays in good hands that are open to having a burlesque show and where we get back in how do we make sure that everybody's safe do you ask people to give you that proof of vaccine 
you know, like, I mean, we're already working on such a shoestring budget. Like I pay for a forehead scanner. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And who's the one that enforces that if somebody's like over a certain percentage of temperature or Mm -hmm. something, you know, Mm -hmm. there's just so many questions and I don't, I don't know what any of the answers are. And I don't know what's going to be left for any of us at that point. There's already a lot of people I know who've already moved out of the city, you know, burlesque performers who've been here for a decade and stuff or longer. And, you know, I, I, I don't know that I'm going to want to do burlesque at the end of it. Honestly, Mm -hmm. I might, at that point, I might just be like, I'm tired of kind of the drama and, you know, the thankless work of producing and stuff. And maybe OnlyFans is how I do my content that, you know, nobody else wants to see. Maybe that's where I put out the Chiana burlesque act that nobody knew that they (laughs) should have like fallen in love with. Uh So I don't know. And use Twitter to promote it. Get it out there. (laughs) I know. I should probably get on Twitter more. I never use it. Well, that's the hard thing about um, OnlyFans, from what I understand from uh, a guest of mine that has a page. Um, Mm -hmm. She does streammates and OnlyFans, and she uses Instagram. I mean, you've got a great Instagram page, so you can drive people to your OnlyFans from that. But yeah, you have to have some form of social media to drive people to your OnlyFans. You can't just have an OnlyFans page and expect people to find you, right? Exactly. And the other thing is you can't actually write the words only fans on Facebook or Instagram. I don't know about Twitter, but um, you literally cannot write the word only fans or they will flag your post and remove it. Yeah. Twitter doesn't give a shit. They're, they're, they're open <laughs> season. They're po- there's porn on there. I think. I, yeah, I, there's some dudes of me on Twitter. I know that. Twitter has some problems. Don't get me wrong. But right yeah. now I feel like as a sex coach, it's the last mm-hmm. place that I have left that I can go on there and talk about 69ing or oral sex or actually say the word sex and not have to put S3X or yeah. intimacy or things. I can say whatever I want on Twitter. They don't censor it. That's good. I should probably I should probably work on that. I Most of the time I just cross post and that just is terrible because I'm nothing like reads right on their system but yeah uh, it's all just so much work yeah and she uses um link tree to have like a link in her bio to go to her different pages and stuff so yep that's what i have too because link tree at least hides it too so you can have and also it's nice especially so like if i did have a show i could put the ticket link to that show i could put my amazon wish list and all my sort of nonsense in there Good idea there on the wish list. Good idea for real. Mm. So, and that's an important point is that, you know, you're talking about how you don't know what's going to happen with all this. You don't know if you're going to come back to say at least public shows or producing a show. So mm. I just want to say to everyone out there listening, if you enjoy art, if you enjoy burlesque, whatever it may be, it is our responsibility right now to find performers that we enjoy and find ways to support them, whether it's, Supporting them on their Patreon page, throwing them a tip on OnlyFans, uh, sharing their page, sharing their content. If you can't afford to actually like give them something, um, you know, money is energy. If you can do it, do it. But if not, share their stuff, tell people about them, like their things, help their algorithm, all that stuff. So yeah, on that note, how do people find you? Um, well, the best and, uh, the best place to find me is Instagram just because that's where I post most frequently. And um, 
I'm, I'm also, I'm sure you've seen, I'm, I go kind of wild in the stories, even if I'm not posting every day. So my Instagram is at petite with an E uh, underscore Renard. And that's my same uh, handle on Twitter as well. Um, and then I do have a Facebook page, Petite Renard, but it's pretty much the same stuff as Instagram, except much less because my stories don't post over there. So right. I... If you're on Instagram, that's definitely the way to go. And I am also Petite Renard on uh, OnlyFans, should you want to see my vagina. There you go. Hey, I'm all about promoting all the things because, again, this is a sex-positive show. So hopefully you do pick up some new fans, um, new followers, and things like that. Because, I mean, it is something that's really important to me right now that people are continuing to support folks out there. If you've got 5 bucks, 10 bucks, whatever. Um, I believe right now is the time to just send what you can when you can, um, because it is all about that energy flow of how do we help our fellow humans that we like and respect. Um, and then I think those things kind of come back to you somehow. So. Absolutely. Karma. Good for everybody's karma. Yes, absolutely. It's my woo woo side coming out there. So, <laughs> well, is there anything else that you feel like people should know about burlesque before we end the show? Today? Um, maybe especially for someone that's never been to a show before, go to more than one show because I've, I think one of the things that I find most frustrating about burlesque is again, we don't have a union. So there's no distinction when you go to a show, whether it's a deed of show with, you know, all of Marilyn Manson's, you know, alimony poured into that show. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. You know, a show at, um, Mm, um, it's fine. I'm Dita Von Teese. Here's another thing I'll say. Dita Von Teese, it should never be your comparison for burlesque because she is so far removed from any of us. Um, and yes, she works with some really amazing people, including Pearl Noir, who's a New Yorker and, um, everybody should go follow her. Um, but you know, half the time Dita's just like, Oh, you're a beautiful model and you're voluptuous and sexy. I'm going to make you a star. She pulls people who have literally never performed burlesque for her show and she just kind of hands them a costume and lets them go. And I find that really frustrating because I'm like, I, I paid a lot of money for a bullshit BFA in fine art in, you know, Connecticut to learn how to breathe properly. And now I strip. So yeah. excuse me, like you thought a pretty girl on Instagram, you know, in a fluffy feathered dress is enough? No. So I'm with you. Please, yeah, so please, please don't take Diavantes. Also, she has like all these opium things and people keep being like, please stop doing that. It's racist. And she's like, mm, no, okay, thanks, bye. Um, so don't ignore Diavantes. Go, I, I guarantee you, if, if you're in a small town, it's probably, there may not be a burlesque show there just because there may be too many Bible belty things going on right. to get that off the ground and have people find each other. But if you're in any major city, um, you know, I performed in Kansas City and I know there's a lot of people in St. Louis and all around. There are definitely people local to you wherever you are in the U.S. I mean, I performed KC? in Alaska. So. Why did you come to KC? Uh, I was part of the Kansas City Nerd West Fest. Uh, it's first year. Oh, gosh. What year was that? I think it was two years ago. Oh man! I, Hopefully they do that again, and that you get to come back to town after 
after we get this pandemic under control, which probably means we're going to get somebody else elected to office and they'll get things under control. Oh, fingers <laughs> crossed. Oh, my God. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, Kansas City, one of my favorite vintage shops is down there. Um, so, you know, definitely check out your local scene. Um, search, especially on, um, you know, Instagram, your city name, burlesque, you know, NYC burlesque, mm-hmm. KC burlesque, whatever it is, it's there. So also, if you if you find out there's like one group, there probably is more than one and maybe they just aren't as good at promoting or, you know, whatever. But the best way to find us is to to follow us and just keep, you know, finding new performers that you like and kind of check out where they are. Because also, you know, one show that might not be so good, maybe it's a show of newer performers versus somebody that's maybe a more polished troupe. So a lot of times I'll promote something like I went on Reddit ages ago to promote a show. And the first comment that I got on it was burlesque sucks. Like everybody's terrible and stupid and bad. And I'm like, okay, well maybe you saw a really terrible burlesque show. And like, maybe you saw somebody who'd been doing it for a week and this was their first show. You don't know. So like, please give everybody credit. You know, every show is going to be different even shows from the same producer from week to week are going to have different people. It's very rare that you're going to find a regular show that has the same people every single show. So if you didn't like that week, maybe check it out the next week and there's going to be totally new people and you might love that person and their titties, you know? Yeah. So just don't judge it by the, don't judge the very first thing you see. Like, please give it a chance. I agree wholeheartedly I, I i do enjoy a good burlesque show from time to time and they are a little harder to come by in kansas city uh you have to kind of like yeah. pay up on them but oh yeah there's some there's just some energy about it that i really just love so i, I mean i like strip clubs too but it's not just about <laughs> them taking their clothes off it is just the total experience it's the strip tease it's the art of it it's the performance piece that i really really enjoy seeing men women and non-binary people get up mm-hmm. there and, and do so Yay. <laughs> well thank you again so very much for being on keep them coming uh i wish you all the absolute best and thank um you. i'll put your information in my show notes so listeners if you're wanting to find her just click down the show notes and i'll have all of her you know social media and her only fans and everything linked there for you too amazing thank you so much for having me and thank you all for listening yes absolutely so you have a great day and again i wish you all the best stay safe stay healthy too thanks you too thanks for listening to keep them coming with open the doors coaching please rate subscribe and share this podcast and check the show notes for stuff we discussed in the episode You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, but visit my website if you want more information about me and my coaching services. You can join my not safe for work email list called the Dirty Bird if you want more content about sex and relationships. You can support said content, like my work with this podcast and other forms of media, by visiting listener support with Anchor FM or visit patreon.com to become one of my patrons. Again, check the show notes. I have links for you there. My theme song is original music by M. Kusa. Until next time.